When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, I'm William Ray. Welcome to Black Sheep. Just a warning for listeners, this podcast contains discussion of sexual assault. Are you writing down in that book that I'm a pirate? Well, in a manner of speaking, I suppose one could say that I am, yes. Good, because I am. And a damn good one, too. So this is a clip from the 1983 film Savage Islands. Tommy Lee Jones is starring in the role of Bully Hayes, the most famous pirate of the Pacific. No, I never flew the skull and crossed bones. That's for your fiction ears. But I have sought pleasure and profit all of my life at sea with no regard for any man's law. Obviously, this is Hollywood, so they've taken a huge amount of license with Bully's story. Pretty much everything Tommy Lee said in that monologue was, if not straight out wrong, then at least stretching the truth a very long way. But that's nothing new for Bully Hayes, or William Henry Hayes, to give him his real name. He had this reputation of of being a scoundrel from birth. But in those days, you could you could print anything you liked. And if it was sensational enough and popular enough, all the other papers copied it word for word. And that's exactly what happened. So there... This is Joan Druitt. She's a maritime historian and author of The Notorious Captain Hayes. To write that book, Joan had to wade through decades of myth-making about Bully Hayes. And even after all of that, the only information she has about his early life in Cleveland, Ohio, is... Rumours. But nothing has been written down. Mm. Just, this, just this gossip that his parents had been um, grog sellers. Um, he was meant to be married there, ran away from a wife, married again, took the second wife to, you know, the sort of bigamist situation, took her to San Francisco and uh, put her into the grog shop trade. And that sort of thing. But we don't even really know how Bully learned to sail. According to one newspaper, he was a captain with the US Navy, but Joan reckons that's probably only half the truth. Probably a story that he spun himself. He liked having this spectacular reputation, and he added to it. He claimed to have gone into the US Navy and was on the China station and was court-martialed for the crime of hanging 25 Chinese pirates without a trial. Um, That kind of thing did actually happen, but he was only, according to what records there are, he was only about 18 or 19 at the time, which makes it a bit unlikely that he was in charge of a US gunboat. The story goes that after Bully was court-martialed for illegally hanging those Chinese pirates... He joined the Chinese Navy. At that stage, he partnered with a man called Pease, who came from Martha's Vineyard and was a really, really nasty character. According to that record, they were both 
in the Chinese Navy and um, they were fired from that because they, were, they had a protection racket. Bullion peas sailed all around China, extorting money from local merchants in exchange for protection from pirates. They, they, so were, they were basically the mob. Yeah, yeah they were the mob. And uh, so we don't know the names of the ships or anything like that, but whatever. Then he arrived in San Francisco, and that's where the record really starts when you can look at the newspapers and you can follow his, his you can track his trail through just sort of the shipping intelligence, which is what I did. Those shipping records show Bully bought a leaky old whaling ship called the Otranto. He started off carrying lumber around the west coast of the USA and then went back to China to take part in what's sometimes called the coolie trade. These coolies were Chinese men who sold their labour for a certain number of years. They were desperate for money, so they sold themselves to a captain who would carry them to a plantation or the um, transcontinental railway in the States was, was, you know, built by hand by Chinese coolies. I mean, there's an element of exploitation here because quite often these men are not ending up where they thought they were going to go. No, they had no idea of the future. I've read a few journals kept on these coolie-carrying ships. The officers of the ship that were in charge of, you know, feeding them and making sure they were cleaned and giving them exercise and that sort of thing, they wrote about them as if they were another species. Mm. It's um, It was terribly, terribly racist. Some ship captains did a good job of looking after the Chinese men aboard their ships, but not all of them. There were plenty of sadists on the high seas because, as I say, there's, there's no god beyond Cape Horn. The master of the ship was master, completely in control. So if he was a nasty person or a drunk, then he could get away with anything. And there were sadists. There are terrible stories. We don't know how Bully Hayes treated his Chinese passengers, but we do know how he treated his crew. They said he flew into what was described as black rages and lashed out violently. One former member of his crew told his story to a New Zealand newspaper. Every man aboard was afraid of him. This crewman said that one day Bully came up on deck to find the helmsman was slightly off course. He took hold of him by the back of the neck and the strap around his waist and he lifted him as high as he could reach and flung him on the deck so hard that he broke his arm and two ribs and a nasty smash on the face. There now, I guess I'll teach you to steer the course I give you next time, said he as the poor fellow crawled away. Brutal beatings were a common tool of discipline on the high seas. Bully is said to have been worse than many, but he was hardly unique. What really made him stand out was how he behaved with merchants. Bully was notorious for buying cargo, talking the merchant into loading it onto his ship, and then sailing off before they could come back for their money. They used to call it paying with the foretopsail, because that's the last thing the merchants would see as the ship disappeared over the horizon. 
In fact, he got a sort of a certain amount of admiration for it. You know, the, the editor of the Otago Daily Times said, well, well, you know, if, if these merchants are such rogues, well, why not sail off in the middle of the night? It was, it was a free-for-all frontier at the time. Mm. Australia and New Zealand were the frontier. It, so was, you... it was rough and ready. It wasn't the civilised arrangement, more or less, that you see today. Bully Hayes was a con man. He might have flown into violent rages against his crew from time to time, but he knew how to be charming when he needed to. One newspaper wrote, He bought and stole ships, cargo and women. And yet so persuasive was he in his ways that even some of his victims laughed at the ingenious methods he employed to gain his ends. And unlike a lot of newspaper stories about Bully Hayes, this wasn't an exaggeration. One coconut trader Bully stole from described him as a fine, upstanding man, was well-dressed and had a most charming personality. And it's worth lingering a bit on that well-dressed part because Bully was flamboyant. He never actually committed piracy, but he certainly looked the part. He was six feet tall and powerfully built with a long beard. One story said he could stand on the floor of a ballroom, leap up and kick the ceiling. When he came into port, he wore a long woolen cloak with a frilly white shirt, a colourful silk sash and a slouch hat perched on his head. Honestly, the only thing he's missing is a pig leg, an eye patch and a parrot. <laughs> and while Bully might not have been a pirate, like in the sort of legal sense, he was involved in capturing a pirate, a guy even more famous than Bully himself. His name was Eli Boggs, a young American who raided the coasts of China. Eli was famous for his appearance, as one newspaper put it, almost tenderly good-looking, striking, feminine appearance, large, lustrous eyes, flashing smile and delicately white hands. By the time Bully got on the scene, Eli was leading a pirate fleet. He was raiding opium merchants around China. They they were terrorising the coasts of of China, and it was a $1,000 bounty on Boggs's head. In some ways, you could see him as kind of similar to Bully, who also preyed on Chinese merchants back when he was running his protection racket. But Eli was a proper pirate. He captured ships at sea to seize their cargo. He was also horrifically brutal. He's actually the guy who's supposed to have invented the whole idea of walking the plank. He once cut a Chinese merchant into bits and sent his body ashore one piece at a time as a warning to others who might cross him. So you can see why there was such a big bounty on his head. Nearly $40,000 in today's money. Bully Hayes was friends with some clipper ship captains and also a Royal Navy gunboat captain. And Bully Hayes heard in the pub in Hong Kong from a couple of clipper ship captains that had actually seen this fleet of junks with a launcher in the lead. The description of those ships perfectly matched Eli's pirate fleet. Bully rushed off to see this friend of his, the captain of the British gunboat. And he said, um, you know, Eli Boggs. So Bully Hayes sailed off with his ship and the gunboat went too. Bully and this British captain managed to track down Eli's fleet near the coast. They were outnumbered. But then they got a lucky break when the weather suddenly turned. They managed to trick most of the junks into getting into the mud. 
running out of water. The launcher got away with a few junks, but, but they kept on the pursuit. Eli Boggs himself was aboard the launcher, which is just a name for a European ship rigged with junk sails. And it was firing stink bombs. Stink bombs? Stink bombs, like grenades, but they're full of nasty-smelling stuff. <laughs> It's not quite as bad as sort of cannonballs. <laughs> well, well, a bit unpleasant, if you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bully jumped into a ship's boat and started rowing after Eli's launcher. And just as they were arriving, all these stink bombs were flying overhead. A lucky shot from the, from the gunboat hit the magazine at the launcher and off it went bang. Through the fire and the smoke... Bully saw Eli Boggs run to the railing and dive overboard. With a cutlass between his teeth. Sounds like a very good way to cut out your tongue if you want to Well, Bully Hayes did not have a sword or anything. He was unarmed. But he dived over, you know, out of the boat, out of the cutter. And he and Eli Boggs had this great grappling match in the water. And even though Eli Boggs had the cutlass... He was overpowered. You know, for all the sort of ridiculous stories about Bully Hayes, which aren't true, I mean, that seems like the most astonishing one, and it seems to be true. It is true, yeah. Bully Hayes used the bounty money from Eli's capture to buy himself a new ship. But he didn't go completely straight. He had this new ship outfitted in Singapore, and then, as usual, he sailed away without paying. By this point, the gold rush was underway in Victoria, and Bully cashed in by ferrying miners and supplies to the gold fields. But he managed to lose his new ship after it was seized as payment for bad debts. He stole another ship, and that was seized too. The problem was that Bully now had a reputation. Not so much because of his capture of Eli Boggs, but because of the string of cheated merchants he'd left all over the Pacific. There was also a string of very unhappy mistresses and wives all over the Pacific. In 1859, a newspaper in Honolulu published an expose on Bully Hayes' dodgy dealings based largely on an interview with one of his former wives. This article is what started the Bully Hayes legend. And it was published under a suitably dramatic headline, The History of a Consummate Scoundrel. The story of the notorious rascal is sometimes both interesting and profitable, as affording to the reader an example to be shunned, and giving to all mankind a knowledge of the practices of rogues and an opportunity to avoid them. This article went on to detail all kinds of nasty dealings Bully is meant to have been involved in, hoodwinking merchants, robbing people, sinking ships on purpose to defraud insurers, cheating on his wife, or should I say wives. Lots of these stories were probably just rumours, but they built the foundation of the Bully Hayes legend. This article was reprinted all across the Pacific, and every paper added little extra tidbits based on stories from other ship captains or merchants who claimed to have had run-ins with Bully. In fact, he got so famous that the newspapers stopped having to come up with clever headlines for stories about him. One just printed, Captain Hayes again, and assumed their readers would just immediately know who they were writing about. And they probably did. The whole thing was just gossip. It was not facts. It wasn't verifiable. There was no documentation there. 
Um, but in those days, you could you could put anything you liked. Maybe Bully felt like he needed a break from sailing to let some of the heat die down. So, in 1860, he got a job working for a travelling circus in Melbourne. He was the guy in the top hat and tails with the whip. The ringmaster. He was the ringmaster, yes. yes. He was the agent and he organised the troops and that sort of thing. I mean, they had you know, New Zealand dancers doing their famous native dance. He had those. And what, doing like haka? I think it was haka, yes. Yeah. I think probably, but they called it New Zealand dancers. The circus Bully was working for ended up going broke, but he managed to link up with another group, the Buckingham family, which was made up of the children of George Buckingham, a famous actor and comedian who set up the first theatres in Adelaide and Auckland. Bully managed to convince the Buckinghams to sail with him to the newly opened gold fields of Otago. And when they got there, he signed up as their agent. They actually did very well in the goldfields, and then they got into what was known as Foxtown. We know it as Arrowtown now. Mm. They set up two rival establishments between them, which is very strange. These two competing theatres were literally set up across the street from each other. And the local newspapers loved stories about the feuding theatres. One particularly famous story is supposed to have happened when the Buckingham family tried to unmask Bully Hayes' criminal past. The story went that Bully Hayes had lost an ear in a fight and he wore his hair long to hide it. So the oldest Buckingham boy, who was also called George after his father, he offered 10 bob to anyone who could trick Bully Hayes into having his hair cut. And one barber managed to do it, according to the story. And lo and behold, they saw the cut ear. Very shortly after the story was published in the paper, the Buckingham family released a play called The Barbarous Barber, which is a comedy at Bully's expense. But it doesn't seem like any of this caused any kind of lasting grudge between Bully and the Buckinghams. I think it was it was just a puff up to get the audiences. And I mean, is that what the whole thing was? Was it, it all just was, a farce? It was publicity. Drum up, it? Yeah. it was publicity. It's sort of like how I don't know McDonald's and Burger King will fake having a big fight just to sort of absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's, it, that is a good way of putting it. it. It was it was publicity because there was no fight in the family. They kept on as he kept on managing them after that. Bully actually ended up in a relationship with one of the Buckinghams, Rosa Buckingham. They had a child and she started calling herself Mrs Hayes. It's not quite clear whether they were actually legally married. And as we mentioned, Bully had a number of other wives all over the Pacific. After a few more years performing with the Buckinghams, Bully managed to get hold of another ship called the Black Diamond. He got back to his old tricks, scamming merchants out of their cargo in Auckland. He was sailing down towards the South Island with Rosa, their child, and Rosa's brother George when they hit some nasty weather. They put ashore for repairs in the Crozelles near Nelson. Then disaster struck. A local um, farmer, he told Rosa that there was a friend of hers staying at his farm and Rosa wanted to see her. And so this farmer loaned them his little yacht into this bully and George and the baby and Rosa and Rosa's maid. And they were sailing to this farm 
in the sounds there. And um, a gust came up and capsized, and everybody except Bully was drowned. But over the next few days, a local newspaper started to print other stories about this accident. There was a lot of gossip that he did it deliberately, that he drowned them on purpose. Why? I don't know. No reason was given. Just said that he did. The man behind this gossip was Eckerstein. He was the harbour master at Nelson. And he had some sort of huge grudge against Hayes. It doesn't seem like the rest of the Buckingham family believed the story because they seem to have stayed friends with Bully Hayes. Also, he was never actually charged with a crime. But the publicity did have a side effect. Bully's creditors managed to track him down in Nelson, snuck aboard the ship in the dark, seized him and had the black diamond sold to cover his debts. Bully ended up down in Akaroa. He linked back up with the Buckinghams for a while, managed to get hold of a new ship and got involved in a new trade. Usually it's known as blackbirding, which is a nice name for what was often a very nasty business. By now it's 1865. The American Civil War has just ended with the defeat of the southern slave states. The horrific African slave trade was over. But the world still had a huge demand for cheap or free labour on cotton and sugar plantations, particularly in Australia. So the slavers changed their targets. They moved from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from Africans to Pacific Islanders. There are so many contradictory and conflicting accounts and there are also big gaps in our knowledge as to who was carrying it out and what they were doing. Mark Darby is a historian who's done some research into blackbirding. The spectrum of activity went all the way from, like, brutal, out-and-out slavery, guys herded aboard ships at gunpoint, through to what you might just call indentured labour, where um, a ship might pull up at a, a remote Pacific island and offer the young men the opportunity to go somewhere and work they would agree and they'd be willingly taken on board and, and off they would go and work on a plantation somewhere in Queensland or, or somewhere else. And, of course, there was everything in between. Guys who were, you know, to some extent willing participants, but they may have been misinformed. They may have been told you're going to country A, but once they were on board, they were taken to country B, where they knew nobody, had no relatives, had no desire or intention of going there, but they couldn't do anything about it. Blackbirding had a horrific effect on the Pacific. Some smaller islands were entirely depopulated. Diseases were introduced. Huge numbers of people died in horrific conditions on plantations, some of which were actually run by the very same slavers who'd fled from the southern USA after the war. We don't know exactly where Bully Hayes sat on Mark Darby's spectrum of slavery. The Westport Times reported that his, quote, unfair dealings with the natives had, quote, injured the market for others. So take from that what you will. There's only one really well-documented story of Bully Hayes blackbirding, and it starts with a group of Pacific Islanders from a small atoll called Manahiki, which is part of the Cook Islands. They wanted to be taken from Manahiki to another island for a wedding. So he offered them all a ride. 
And instead of that, you know, he sailed off intending to sell them in Apia. After locking this group below deck for quite a while, Bully Hayes stopped off at an island in Samoa where he let them off to wash. Some of the group immediately ran to the local chief, a man called Maunga. And told him that, you know, they'd been captured, they'd been kidnapped. They'd only wanted to go to a wedding. Maunga told them to go back to their ship. Then, while the ship's boat was still on shore with some of the crew, he seized it and yelled for the captives to jump overboard and swim for shore. Bully was furious. He grabbed his pistols and jumped from his ship and commandeered a local man's canoe. He ordered him to row after these fleeing captives. So Maunga yelled out to the men paddling the canoe. He called out in someone for them to capsize it. So they tipped Bully in the water and he comes up dripping and raging and trying to fire his gun. One did misfire, the other didn't fire at all. And when he sort of staggered on shore raging and yelling, Maunga arrested him. So far, this is sounding like a pretty funny story. The notorious Bully Hayes getting some of his own medicine from this crafty Samoan chief. But the story gets much darker from here. Maunga handed Bully over to the local British consul who took him and the captives to Apia to sort the whole mess out. But while he's figuring out what to do, every single one of those captives died. Either in Apia or maybe on Bully's ship, they picked up some kind of disease, which they clearly had no immunity to. And John Williams, the consul, he was very distressed about it. You know, if he hadn't brought them to Apia, if he'd sent them back to Manahiki, they would have been all right. That somehow, even though that wasn't part of what he has crime, it sort of... Attached itself to him. Yeah, attached itself to him. These poor people died. Bully was potentially looking at a very significant penalty for his crimes, but he didn't wait around to face the music. His old mate Ben Pease was in town. You might remember that was the guy who Bully was working with back in the Chinese Navy when he was shaking down merchants for protection money. Bully made a run for it on Pease's ship. And from this point, the two go into business together as, well, if not actual pirates, then something pretty close. They roamed the Pacific, stealing coconut oil from traders. Sometimes they would threaten to fire broadsides into villages if they didn't hand over their harvest. Bully actually eventually betrayed Pease and stole his ship. That might be the only time where he actually committed something close to piracy. Bully also set up his own coconut plantations in Micronesia using indentured and slave labour. And he wasn't just after men to work in his fields. There are reports that the women he captured or tricked on board his ship were, and I quote, distributed among the crew. There's one court case where Bully himself was accused of raping a 10-year-old girl who was on one of his plantations. Mark Darby again. We're talking about child sexual abuse on a, on a really, you know, a horrendous level. And, and, and he appears to have had a thing for, for that particular activity and would single out the youngest female um, uh, members of his human cargo for his own use. Bully was cleared on that charge because the girl refused to take the stand in court. But this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. The sexual exploitation of Pacific Island women 
was an integral part of the black burning trade. It's, the, the references to it are too frequent and too detailed and convincing to come to any other conclusion. And that was one of the um, appeals of it for Hayes, I'm inclined to believe. Also, while the British did clamp down on blackbirding in the 1870s, the slave trade hasn't really gone away. Today there are estimated to be 40 million slaves in the world. After illegal drugs, it's the number one earner for organised crime globally. Our own Department of Labour thinks there are about 3,000 slaves in New Zealand. As for Bully, well, he never really had to face justice for his part in the blackbirding trade. It's actually really bizarre. There are quite a few times when the authorities had him in their hands, but they just let him slip through their fingers. There was one stage where he sailed the Leonora into Apia and a US man of war, captained by Meade, sailed in at the same time and was going to capture him for being a pirate. Bully was arrested and taken on board the American ship. The next day, he let him go, and nobody knows why. (laughs) There is nothing in Meade's papers to explain why he let him go. Bully gets back on board the Leonora, and they put up bunting and fly flags and that sort of thing and fire sort of cannon and sort of celebration and sail off in triumph. It's so bizarre, isn't it? It is totally bizarre. Bully Hayes finally met his end in 1877. But it had nothing to do with the authorities. He was taken down by one of his own crew. Bully had been back in the USA, sailing in regattas around California. He seems to have struck up some kind of relationship with a local woman who was married to the owner of a luxury yacht. He got command of this this luxury yacht called Lotus and sailed off with the owner's wife. At some point along this trip, Bully decided he needed to live up to his name and enforce some of his trademark discipline against the crew. He took the cook on shore, tied him to a palm tree, and flogged him. It's not exactly clear what this guy is supposed to have done wrong. But the cook got his own back. There was a fracas in mid-ocean, and he was beaten to death by the cook and died in this woman's arms. It's quite a romantic end to the story, I mean, aside from the whole beating-to-death thing. His killer was never charged with a crime. In fact, this Dutch cook was treated as a hero when they arrived at the port in Marshall Islands. And from that point, as with a lot of black sheep, Bully Hayes' legend only grows. People who knew the notorious Captain Hayes were keen to tell their stories, and those that didn't were happy to make some up. The legend of Hayes continues to this day. There are several restaurants and pubs named after him all across the Pacific. Probably the biggest one is the Bully Hayes restaurant in Akaroa. One guy who travelled with him was called Louis Beck, and he wrote a series of short novels about his time with Bully, which have more than a few literary embellishments. Those novels are what inspired that Savage Islands movie, which we started this episode with. You remember, the one with Tommy Lee Jones. Highly doubtful, Captain. Let's get the hell out of here, then. Captain Hayes? Admiral! Whatever. It's one of the works that has built his myth up as a swashbuckling 
likeable rogue, you know. There were sort of boys' adventure stories from the early 20th century with um, highly coloured pictures of him on the poop deck or whatever the hell it's called. those stories gloss over the nastier side of Bully Hayes. Bully Hayes in the movies and books never beats his crew to a pulp for a slight mistake. He never enslaves people. He never abuses young girls. The real-life Bully Hayes did do those things. The more you get into what we can be sure of about the blackbirding trade, the more disgusting the more truly vile and reprehensible the guy's actions seem. Special thanks to Mark Darby and to Joan Druitt. For more on Bully Hayes, you can read Joan's book, The Notorious Captain Hayes. Also, just another reminder that I'm hosting a live Black Sheep show in 2019. It's at 2pm on January the 26th at the Bread and Circus World Buskers Festival in Christchurch. We're talking all about the history of New Zealand executions, which I can report is a totally fascinating, if sometimes gruesome, subject. We've got an all-star cast of guests, including Vincent O'Malley, Mark Darby and Dame Fiona Kidman. Tickets are free, but you do need to book your place. Just go to the Bread and Circus website and search for Black Sheep. If you can't make it, don't worry. You can listen along at home. Just subscribe to Black Sheep, which is also free. You can do that via the podcast page at rnz.co.nz. You can also find Black Sheep through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And make sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell your mates. That really helps us out. Also, check out some of RNZ's other fantastic podcasts. I highly recommend Two Cents Worth, which is our new business podcast. It's a good place to go if, you know, maybe you don't know a hell of a lot about business, but you'd like to stay informed. So go check it out. That's my Two Cents Worth. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is the last proper black sheep for the year, but we will have a little podcast extra for you in time for Christmas. Black Sheep is written and presented by me, William Ray. The executive producer is Tim Watkin, and the sound engineer is Phil Benge. We had voice acting help from Duncan Smith, Adam McCauley, and Simon Dickinson. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.